COVID killer spoil skills long-term goal of reinstating the VFL. It's raining upsets. Oh, hallelujah. It's raining upsets. Raining upsets. Collingwood Cool Climb and Collected is Richmond Reach Rock Bottom. And never have I ever tipped North at Optus. Hello and welcome back to AFL by Nummies. My name is Alex Henry and joining me this week, as he does every week, is the man who nearly fell off the balcony at Etihad Stadium trying to take a mark. It's Tom Greaser. Yes, hello Alex. Yeah, if you don't put your body on the line, <laughs> are you even worth it on an AFL list? That's always been my policy and uh, it shall remain. You do anything for your swans, that's definitely true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, Tom, let's get straight into our points of observation this week. And my point of observation is actually going to come in the form of a question. Tom, who do you think is the worst team in the competition at the moment? Now, we know we've had great many conversations about who is the best team. You know, Melbourne, the Bulldogs, Geelong, Brisbane, they're all thereabouts. But North Melbourne won on the weekend. Gold Coast won on the weekend. Um <laughs> I'm not really sure anymore who's the worst team in the competition. So give me your opinion first, and then I'll go through some of the stats. Hmm. I would say that it's Hawthorne marginally. Marginally. So let's let's make the case for and against Hawthorne. Their last five weeks. Let's have a look at those games, right? Just remember, just five weeks ago... They beat Sydney by 38 points in a resounding successful match. Then they lost to Essendon by 13 points. That's a reasonable performance. They were pretty good that day. They beat GWS the week after by 18 points in a massive upset. Great result for them. Since then, not a great game against Port. They were a bit disappointing, 30 points down. And then 34 points down. And then this weekend, it 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 was a pretty tough game to watch. They were... Embarrassed by Fremantle by 62 points. But for me, that form line speaks that at least at the moment, they're not the worst team in the competition. No, that's true. I employ the Kane Corns method of defining who's the worst as to who's the closest to a premiership tilt. And I would say North is slightly closer than Hawthorne um, at the moment. Um, so I think I would put Hawth- Hawthorne as the least likely uh, to win a premiership in the next few years. That would be my uh, big, uh, you know, thing. Yeah, that's that's a fair strategy. I'm looking at more on who I would most like to play on a specific match day at the moment. And for me, it would probably be between um, Hawthorne. And then for me, the other one is Adelaide. Now they've dropped to 16th yeah, that's true. on the ladder because of recent form. Lately, they did beat St Kilda four weeks ago now, which is actually quite a long time. And in amongst those, they had a close game against Carlton and Collingwood. The last two weeks, they've lost to Brisbane by 52 points and Essendon by 53. So I think yeah, if I had a home game, Adelaide. keep in mind, important part, a home game against Adelaide, I'd feel pretty confident. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. All right, Tom, what did you observe from this weekend? Well, yeah, well, I'm going to take it personal this week and say uh, I observed the first time in a while that there's genuine premiership conversations about my team, the Sydney Swans, and I do love it. It's great. Um, on the weekend, we did beat the top side, um, Western Bulldogs, who were top of the ladder at the start of the round or second um, going into the match, and it was a pretty convincing win in the end. I think the scoreline flattered the Bulldogs and made him kick straight in the second half in particular. Um, Now I understand that they had a few key outs. um, (laughs) Aaron Norton, sorry. But I am loving the the chat in the media this week of whether we can uh, take a tilt at the premiership this year, which has come on very, very fast. You know, I was not even expecting to be in the top eight this year, let alone, you know, attempting a top four tilt this late in the season. So go on, Tom, answer the question for us then as the resident Sydney fan. Do you feel like it's a realistic chance of, you know, winning a premiership this year? You know, as it stands now, let's just do the numbers. Sixth on the ladder, 
four points off the fourth place Brisbane Lions, but also 14 percentage points. So yeah, you'd have to gain so. two wins on them by the end of the season and also a win and a little bit of percentage, just four, four and a half percentage points off Port Adelaide to make the top four. So a bit of work to be done, but still still achievable just to make the top four. And can you win it from there? So, yeah, I think we'd have to make top four to have any chance. I, I'm still in that camp. Um, though I would love, and I have dreamt about coming sixth or seventh, beating three teams on the road, get to Bulldogs in the grand final and beat them. That would be great. Um, uh, in a, uh, you know, a grand final away from Melbourne and uh, it would be a, a great win. But I think we still need to get top four to have any chance. Yeah, that's that's fair. I, I think top four is going to be very difficult, as I said last week, even though this week's performance was so good. Um, so I, I still think that it's probably next year for the Swans might be the ambition, but it doesn't hurt to dream and sometimes teams do storm home. So who knows? It's about being hot at the right time. All right, Tom, and today we're going to move over to the race for the top eight and we're going to cross now to our commentators on the scene. It is Alan Smith and Martin Tyler. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Race for the Eight. We've got a competition between six competitors here for the final two spots of the illustrious eight. In our first lane, it's the younger brother, Johnny, who used to work on the docks. And in lane two, big brother and still currently missing the Philadelphia Eagles. In our third lane, they missed it by this much. The All Saints in lane four, they're big, they're orange. It's the GWS Trumps. In our next lane is everybody's favourite drug cheat, Neil Armstrong. And in our final lane, we have the reigning champions, Shere Khan. Everybody is taking their places, eagerly waiting for the start gun to go off. Bang, and they're off, except for the Trumps. They've uh, turned around and are going the wrong way. Now a great start for the Philly Eagles, who take the lead with Shere Khan closely behind. Oh wait, it looks like a swan has come onto the track and started pecking at Shere Khan while they are running. It's truly remarkable, the skill of the young signet who is only matching the tiger, but also slowing them down. Now behind the pack is a tussle between Johnny from the Docks and All Saints, but it seems the All Saints have completely stopped running. They've put on glasses and lit up a cotton bold flavoured vape. Wait, where did that leather jacket come from? And how are they on a motorcycle? We are turning the corner now away from home and it looks like both the Eagles and Johnny have slowed down to a leisurely walk around this bend. It might be worth it in the long run to conserve their energy on the straight coming. The Trumps, like their namesakes, seem to be deliberately tripping themselves over. They seem out of the race now. Here comes Neil Armstrong now, spurred on by his youth that definitely didn't come in a vial. They're passing Shere Khan, but the old tiger manages to reach out and claw and drag Armstrong down with him. Only a few left standing now, just the two Perth teams, Johnny from the Docks and the Philadelphia Eagles. But the Eagles, they've disappeared. They were right there one second, and now they're missing again. It's just Johnny from the Docks left now, and wait, he stopped running. He appears to be in a funk. He's run into the blues, and it appears depression has struck once again. We're at the finish line now, awaiting for the first team to make it over the line. And, and... There's no one. None of the teams have made it to the finish line. Martin, how can you have uh, predicted this? No one has reached the finish line. Well, Alan, we're in, we're in uncharted waters now. I've, I have no idea what to do. Um, it, it seems likely that the, the AFL has said, yes, yes, the race will keep going. We will have to return next week. This is 2010 all over again. Apparently at this stage, None of the teams wanted enough. That's what we're hearing. Um, well, Martin, I guess I'll see you next week. Yeah, I'll see you then. <laughs> uh, Tom, all right, give me your predictions now. Sound off. Which of the six are going to make it? Uh, it's currently... I think I actually think West Coast are going to bundle out and St Kilda will replace them. That's one spot, and the second, and Frio will re- remain in the eight. So You're only Frio, uh, yeah. 
I think Frio will win tonight and they will solidify themselves in the eight. Really? I'm, I'm surprised at that. I mean, we'll get to our tipping later and you can make your call before the siren starts. We've got 45 minutes before, <laughs> before kickoff. <laughs> um, but that's... Oh. That is interesting. I I just think Fremantle's run home is what's going to kill them. So we've already discussed Geelong this week. They've got Sydney and Richmond in the next two weeks as well. Um, and if I go back to my notes from my fixture that I ran last week, here it is. No, I have to go back all the way back because we're looking at Fremantle. This will be trimmed down. Geelong, Sydney, Richmond, and then in the three weeks after that, they have Brisbane, West Coast, and then they have to play the Saints, who are playing quite well at the moment, in Melbourne. So, in saying that, where any of these games actually will be, as we've discovered over the last week, is <laughs> it's speculation at best. So, who knows where that game will be? But I think their run home is what's going to hurt them. For me, I'd love to, I'd love to predict St Kilda, because I do think on form, they are the team that I would go with. But mm-hmm. firstly, I have no faith in them. And secondly, their run home is difficult. So I'm actually going to go with Essendon and I have to believe that West Coast have got something left. Interesting. Yeah, that's um, probably the safe, safer option is, is um, the existing, you know, uh, top team in West Coast and uh, the team with the easiest run home in Essendon. I think that's yeah. pretty fair. Essendon should, should if they win the games they're supposed to, should barrel home into the eight. It should be yeah, great season for them. Anyway, Tom, it's time now for us to get into our first battle round. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. All right, you're going to kick us off with, I don't know what, Tom, what's coming? All right. So, Alex, uh, like Ricky Nixon, COVID-19 will not go away. Uh, it's been going for so long. Um, the term unprecedented times would mean a time without restrictions or cases. And so in all of this, the AFL has lost a lot of money. Now, none of them from, you know, the executive's pockets, but as soft caps and list sizes shrink as fast as Jeddah and Cyril and the G, the AFL and the government are collecting the data of every patient to c- patron to contract trace just in case there's a case on the ground. Now, there is a section of the G that's listed as a tier two site. So as Lord Gillian said in his press conference yesterday, everyone who has contacted uh, needs to isolate until they receive a negative test. So the AFL has a debt problem that's larger than the one they caused by putting points bet inside every single show they make. So, in order to fix it, they are utilising a marketing strategy that I learnt at uni. The sequel strategy. Basically, you take down everyone's ID, email and phone number in an attempt to be serious about the issue of contact tracing. But, much like when you acted like a posh English teenager in front of your parents after you super smashed your little brother for being so annoying, <laughs> it might seem real, but the shine won't last forever. The next step of the sequel strategy is to start sending little reminders about, you know, cool things we've got going on. Like next week we have our annual pretend other people other than men watch our competition by giving them a game or two where they won't be questioned about how much or little they know about the game round. (laughs) Then we move on to the bigger part of the plan. Remember when I said that their debt is bigger than Australia's gambling problem? Well, imagine if you will. A scenario where you've been contact traced and told you have to isolate for two weeks. Yes, I understand you're listening to an extremely niche podcast. That probably means you've been self-isolating for years. But for the rest of the public, you know, cold, alone and sad. And then ping a personalized ad to bet on this week's round. And ping an ad for context and delivery of the AFL's favorite beer. It's like shooting pigs in a barrel. If the pigs then survive the shooting, but with permanent injuries that last to generations (laughs) and a lifetime supply of debt. Now, the AFL will be debt free and we can all go back to drinking and jam and we can all go back to drinking and gambling on it like before. Only this time it's personal. Oh, I love, I love that as an ending. (laughs) That is vintage sequel stuff. (laughs) 
<laughs> Only this time is personal. That was that was very interesting, Tom. A slightly unconventional structure of a joke, but I very much enjoyed it. Very entertaining. Good from you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, all right. Um, now we're up to round seventeen. Has just passed, I believe. We're, we're yeah. Always, yeah. Round seventeen has just passed, which means Tom, it's time for my rolling all Australian side. Yeah, yeah. Let's go. Big wheels keep on turning. No, you're not going to finish the line. Come on, Tom. This is supposed to be a partnership. Uh, I have no idea what you're talking about. Big wheels keep on turning. Proud Mary no. keeps on. No, I can't no remember idea. What the line is. No idea. We're rolling. We're rolling, Tom. We're rolling on the river. <laughs> you're a disgrace. You're a disgrace. All right. Um, let's start with the back line, Tom. Um, there are a few changes this time, but maybe not as many as last time as the the season has, has had a bit of time to settle and we can see who the good players are and who was maybe in a good patch of form earlier in the season. So starting from the defence, Stuart May Stasevich, Rich Wiedering Lever, the centre-line Langdon Miller Parrish, the half-forward line Petrarca Walker Zorko, the full-forward line Green, Mackay and McDonald Tip and Woody. Followers, Gorn, McRae and Liberatore. And our bench... Bontempelli, Wines, Steele, and Salem. The medical sub is Walsh because we're going with the 23-man squad. And our coach is Simon Goodwin. Now, before we get into anything, Marcus Bontempelli is a good enough player and has had a good enough season that he could start in the midfield. I am aware of that. But the best (laughs) version of this team, the best version of this team uses Marcus Bontempelli as on the bench as a player that goes both into the midfield and into the forward line on rotations. If you pick him purely as a midfielder, then you end up picking someone worse as a straight-up forward. Uh, And I do think he spent enough of the time in the forward line that is justifiable picking him as a forward mid. Anyway, that's that's the team. Um, Before we get your big... Your big names, Tom, on who you felt has missed out and who you are surprised to see in there. Let me go through the ins and outs. So the new players, yeah. Jacob Wiedering, Tuk Miller, Darcy Parrish, Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody, Ollie Wines, and Jack Steele. A couple of players who were having hot starts to the season that we weren't sure whether or not they were just playing well or going to a new level, and they've really cemented that. The number one I'm going to focus on there, Darcy Parrish. He's gone to a complete other level we didn't know he was capable of. And then the outs. To be honest, some of these players have just dropped off a little bit. Um, it's a bit all over the place. Some of them um, just aren't. Their team isn't playing as well, and that's difficult to deal with. And there's one that's going to be very controversial, I know. Harris Andrews, Hugh McCluggage, Harris Andrews, Hugh McCluggage Bailey Fritch. Here's the big one. Clayton Oliver, Cosy Pickett, oh. and Mark Blitzarves. So... Tom, is Oliver the bigger mission for you or have you got somebody else who you feel is... Oliver's Oliver's done dirty, but it's just such a tough midfield. I don't even know how you could pop him in. I understand what you've done. I don't know if I would do it, but I understand understand it. Um, and then the other thing, interesting one is um, McDonald Tipman Woody as the sp- uh, forward pocket. Um, yeah. Uh, I would love to know the stat stat comparison between him and Fritch. I understand the the position is uh, significantly different, and I think that might have something to play with it. But the size um, is similar, so um, I wonder if the stat line compares. Um, I'm trying to think of other forward small forwards in the comp, but none really. Yeah, none really. Uh, you know, jump out at me. So maybe other than, yeah, potentially Cozzy, but he was quiet for the last month until last week. Um, I'm glad Tuk Miller is there and getting the recognition he deserves. Um, Who else? Um, Yeah, Jack Steele has also uh, kept his spot and basically put St Kilda in a position to play for finals. So I, I think that... He should be uh, elevated um, as high as you can possibly put him. Uh, if you can fit him in your 22, I would put him in, in there. Um, I'm trying to think. Who else? 
Yeah. Um, um, well, well, you're trying to think. Let's do let's do yeah. the numbers on Fritch v. McDonald Tip and Woody because I think it's an interesting one. Obviously, I think Toby Green is the standout premier standout small forward. Small forward. Yeah, of course. Um, and, and from this season, by quite a way, I would suggest. Yeah. But uh, Bailey Big. Fritch is a very good player, but his game is goals, and that's really it. Um, the reason I've gone with Anthony McDonald Tip and Woody is I think he's one of the best pressure forwards in the competition at the moment. Um, right. Fair, fair, fair. I tried to find a balance between we're living in an era of the dominant midfielder forward. Um, you know, Dustin Martin's won three of the last four Norm Smiths. Um, the best two players this season, Marcus Bontepelli, who bangs in multiple goals a week or averages, I think about 1.2, 1.3 regularly bangs in multiple goals a week, plus getting 25 touches. Kristen Petrarca kicked three on the weekend for Melbourne so that role is really important. We've got a couple of those players, the best two being Bontempelli and Petrarca, obviously. And then I think Zorko, mm-hmm. who plays it in a slightly different way, less as a yeah. bull and more as when he goes forward, Bontempelli, when he goes forward, goes and plays as a tall in a way, um, yeah, as, marking as a target. marking target. Uh, Zorko goes and plays as a small. So I think you've got the option there as well in that regard. Um, but McDonald, Tip and Woody, I think the key for me is he's averaging one and a half tackles per game, Bailey Fritch is averaging half a tackle per game. Now, that's that's the reason I've gone with... Um, sorry, that's tackles inside 50. That's tackles inside 50 yeah, yeah. total tackles. Yeah. Um, that's the reason why I've gone with him because I feel on goals at the moment, they're pretty difficult to split. Bailey Fritch had an outstanding start to the season where he was just banging in goals to the point where he became... Um, it became impossible to look past him. Um, he yeah. was just kicking too many goals. But as, as that is evened out, um, I start factoring in other things. Cozzy was having a good start to the season and he was just such a live wire that he, he created so many chances that you wanted him in there. But as you said, poor forms really cost him that. Kai Nolv, I would like to personally apologize to. I, I, <laughs> I've always, as it is, cramped who, so Who do you have in your wing? Pardon? Who do you have on the wing? So I've gone with two wingers, and for me, I've structured this like I would um, an elite-level team at the moment, how most of them do, is that most of them have a far-side winger who plays out and out on the wing, and then they have a second winger who goes to the contest as soon as the ball has gone up and acts as an extra midfielder. So um, Ed Langdon, for me, he's not been as strong over the last month or so as he was earlier in the season but he's still been the premier winger in the competition. Traditional winger, the fast. Traditional he's been winger. the best fast side, yeah, fast side winger. Um, yeah, by a comfortable distance as well. And then on the yeah. other side, I've gone with Parrish, who um, it's a justification. He's got the energy and the leg speed and the work rate to play on a wing anyway. And he, I think he suits that role perfectly of the, in a team this good, of the near side winger who joins the contest because... He doesn't deal... I don't think his best work is centre clearances. I think like Zach Merritt, his best work is contested ball in and around. So once the ball goes up and it's in play, then you see him start firing out handballs and creating space. That's what I think is good. So he's in that position. And I've also just got so many natural ball winners and defensive midfielders that Oliver's kind of fitting into that role as well. So the, the starting three are... McRae, Libba, Miller. Miller's your two-way runner. Libba is your clearance specialist and McRae is your ball user and the guy that racks up the numbers, right? Outside, so you've yeah. got the combination there. On the bench, Bontempelli can go in as well, but you've got Wines, who's another ball to throw in and just say, win me the ball. And then Steele can... Not, not, he's versatile around the ground. He can be used at forward. He kicked two goals for the Saints on the weekend. But he goes in there. He can do a defensive job if you need, like Miller but he's also um, a good winner of the ball. So Oliver would be in the place of one of, I think McRae and Liberatore have to be locks in this team. Libra is the clearance player in the competition. McRae is the disposal player in the competition. I don't think you can look past them. So Miller would have to, would have to go into the the place. I'm not Miller, sorry. Oliver would have to go into the place of either Miller, Wines and Steele. Um, you have to have at least one of Miller or Steele as a defensive midfielder. Parrish is unique in that he's the he's the fast, energetic presence that some of the others aren't. So he's necessary. 
So for me, it's probably between steel wines and Oliver for two spots. And I decided yeah. to go with steel and wines for what they offer as opposed to Oliver for what he does um, in construction of a team. Because I, I feel like it would be a bit too one-dimensional with Oliver. Yeah, yeah. I think this I think yours is definitely a playable team. I think that the when it comes to actual selection, I think they will do some weird stuff. They haven't done it lately, but they've they're used to in like, you know, a few years ago play some people well out of position mm. because they just couldn't couldn't be overlooked. And I feel like uh, a midfielder this year will uh, that will happen and you know there'll be a a, a midfielder playing um forward pocket for some reason like um because you just can't not well you cannot have him and you cannot have his replacement yeah so here's what i expect i think it'll be zorko and green in the pockets and i think that'll be their small forwards in quotation marks it'll be walker it'll be mckay almost certainly and then Depending on how Walker finishes this season, he's getting chased down by some of the rest of the pack. So yeah, we'll Ben, ben King playing very well at the moment. Yeah, um, we'll see. So I think it'll be two tools, maybe a third, depending on if another third tool finishes really strong as well. Um, but then they'll just be it'll be Petrarca, probably Bontempelli on the half forward line as well. Maybe Parish because he's played yeah. there in the past, despite the fact that he hasn't played there this season. Um, It'll just be cramming midfielders so that the bench basically looks like just a midfield line, which I always find ridiculous. And to be honest, mine is heavy. By normal standards, mine is heavy. So the one I went with last year, the the interchange was Bontempelli, Pickett, Blitzarves, and Rich. So it was much more balanced from that way. But watching how the Western Bulldogs play and how much it's hurt them playing with less midfielders, I thought from a balanced perspective... I might throw one or two more in and see how that works. And I like the look of it. The only thing I'm missing from this team, which is an obvious, obvious worst case um, that needs to be acknowledged, is there is no out and out second ruck. So this yeah, would be relying on Max to do like 95% yeah, of the work. Um, and you might give maybe Walker some chop outs in there. Or I don't mind the Richmond style, to be honest. I know it's unconventional of throwing. You could throw somebody like um, Jack Steele in there, Bontempelli, yeah, and just all you need to do is bring the ball to ground and let the midfielders do their work. And I think that would be effective as well. But as I said at the last one, for me, there has been no player as the second ruck that has stood out well enough to demand selection in that regard. Blitzarts, I thought, was having a stronger start to the season. And I just think he's been pushed too much yeah. around the ground and he's lost yeah. his... Um, he's never. lost his effectiveness. He's playing well in each area, but not playing um, very well in each area. Yeah, you could so. almost pick him in every position, which means you could never pick him in any position. Yeah, you could almost put him on the bench, but I feel like it would be not, not quite there in, in, yeah. in the place of some of these others. So that's probably the, the biggest structural flaw in my team. But speaking of gone, I'm going to end this by teeing your, your stat up later, Tom. I reckon earlier in the season at the halfway point, at, at the quarter way point, at the halfway point, he was, the man is 208-ish centimetres. I don't know what he is. He was at least ahead. So about, I don't know, 30-something centimetres, clear of the next opposition in terms of being replaced as Ruckman. Well, Tom, that day has changed. Sean Darcy has put together a ridiculous season and I know you're going to get into it later. In particular, his last month has just been astronomical in Ridiculous. the games in which I've watched Fira lately he's been the, the, the most dominant player on the field by a mile um, <laughs> if, if yeah, this we'll, keeps we'll going he, he doesn't need to be scoring 180 super coach plus but if he keeps going with the effect he's having on these games for the rest of the season for me Gorn will not be the All-Australian Ruckman and partly it is because um, of how um, how they're using Max Gorn now. Luke Jackson's playing a lot more game time and Max is being used as the right. Interesting. forward option and the defensive option. Um, yeah. But if if Walker if Walker stays injured, I could see a uh, I could see a one tall forward forward line and squeezing a Darcy on the bench if Darcy 
continues his dominance. But I, we'll, I think we'll get it to would it be later. more likely putting. I think you'd be from a structure perspective, it would make more sense to put Max on the bench. Or Max, one well, Ruckman on the it bench. It would be it would be insulting I, to put Darcy in it first and Gorn in, in it and on the bench. I yeah. think. But from a structural perspective, Darcy is your Ruckman. Like he's going to play 90 percent of the game in Ruck. You play Max a bit of time there as well, and Max is. I, I envision Max finishing his his career in the same way that Big Boy has, and he can go play full back. He can go play full forward. You just chuck him down anywhere, and he'll go and mark the ball. He could be a he could be a winger to be honest. I think he'd be an excellent winger in that Tom McDonald kind of vein when he was at his absolute best as just Nick Rewell running up and down the wings, just marking the ball every time somebody needed an outlet kick. Um, so I, I think he would quite effectively. Um, fit into that role on a bench in the All-Australian season should the percentages keep going. But currently as they are, he's spending too much time in the ruck, not enough time kicking mm. goals or taking marks in defence. But, you know, Darcy keeps playing better. Luke Jackson gets more ruck time. Gorn goes and plays full back, full forward. Maybe. It would be a very different dynamic. Yeah, it would. It would. Anyway, Tom, that's my stat. Excellent. Excellent analysis. In the AFL justice system, missing team cases are considered especially heinous. In Melbourne, the dedicated detectives who investigate these insipid performances are members of an elite squad known as the Special Victims Unit. These are their stories. Mr. Beveridge, my name is Detective Creaser. This is Detective Henry. We're here on behalf of the AFL to investigate the missing West Coast Eagles. We believe you were the last ones to see them alive. Hey, dudes. Yeah, my mates and I were supposed to kick a red oval-shaped hacky sack with them a few weeks ago, but they uh, they never showed, man. So we jammed with our guitars instead. So they haven't been here since the bye, then? They're an old side. Is it possible they didn't return from the bye? We should go check out the old folks' home. Ugh. Look, Henry, it's just Geelong players. And that David Mundy doing push-ups. Yeah, but no eagles. Excuse me, sir, have you had any eagles check-in? Uh, let me have a look at my list. Sidebottom. Cotchin. Murphy. Ah, yes, the Eagles. They're not checking in yet. Apparently, they can't come until the end of the season. Until they bum out of the finals first week. Of course! We went looking for them at the old people's home because we thought that's where the Eagles would be. But we should have gone to where the people that took them will be. The kindergarten. We knew it would be you. Who else could be the killer? Of West Coast Premiership chances. Google Gaga. You can't pretend to be young to us, North. But we see your age. And you can't be babies and have Goldie Blaking records at the same time. Google Goldie. Babies, Carlton fans, you're all the same. Uh, boss? I'm not sure it was the baby. Nonsense. Who else could it have been? Fremantle? No, they're not capable of beating anyone. What about me? The Swans, of course. The age-old rivalry motivated you to crush their dreams once more. Ha 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 ha. You well know, in 2006, we were robbed of a two-peat by a nine-fingered monster wearing the eagle's colours. And ever since then, 
we have vowed to avenge our ancestors by destroying all. And I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you meddling detectives. Well, you've clearly had your swan song. Uh, Tom, I'm not sure whether or not that's the best or the worst thing we've ever done, but I think it's one of them. <laughs> I'm not sure either. <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> all right. Let's get into our second battle round. Ding, ding, ding. All right. I teed you up, Tom. Let's start talking about the most form player in the competition right now, shall we? Yeah, let's talk about Sean Darcy, the 23-year-old Ruck Phenom. Um, currently uh, rucking uh, and a dominant force, as we've just said, um, for the Freo Duckers. Now, the former second-round pick is currently averaging 16.7 disposals, 4.7 clearances, 4.5 marks, 3.3 tackles and just under 30 hitouts a game at 29.9. Now, in the last month, those numbers are up to 20 touches, 6.75 clearances, 6.25 marks, and 31 hitouts a game. Now, that means nothing unless you compare them to the best. So let's compare them to Brody Grundy and Max Gorn. Um, and now I understand that all three play very distinct and different styles um, as Ruck. So Grundy is the athletic Ruckman. He plays like an extra midfielder, gets low and, and supports um, the midfielders around him on the ground. And his, his elite stat is uh, scoring chains and getting through uh, the link player through the middle of the middle of the ground or the middle of a play. So between 2016 and 2019, he averaged six score involvements per game, which is considered elite for a Ruckman and the the peak um, standard uh, for Ruckman in that time period. Now, Gorn clearly has uh, the height advantage um, at a monster 208 centimetres, as you said, um, but he's been used as a contested mark option. Now, he, the club captain, he usually gets in the defensive half, though we've seen him go forward for a bit, but I think he will stay back now that Ben Brown looks to be a solidified pick in the Melbourne 22. Um, and he has averaged two contested, mark per ga- two contested marks per game across his whole career. Now, let's get back to Sean Darcy. He's clearly uh, wider and bigger than both Gorn and uh, Grundy especially. Um, but in 2021, he's proven to be more, cap- more proven to be perfectly capable at uh, in a minimum in matching certain aspects of both Gorn and Grundy in their respective uh, elite statuses. So he has shown the ability to dominate rock contests and the ability to push back defensively and Im- influence contest has improved significantly significantly but his athleticism has also um, improved so dramatically that he even started at a couple of center bounces on the wing against Hawthorne and in the last month his average 6.5 score involvements per game which is more than Grundy has ever uh, been uh, recorded at now, I'm not sh- sure, maybe you will understand this, but from the article that I saw from Stats Insider, um, Darcy is the only player in the competition to be averaging at least four score launches a game. So the only one in the competition full stop, which is uh, huge. Um, and the uh, the uh, big thing is that Darcy is averaging 1.9 contested marks per game, which is a figure that Grundy has never been able to reach. Um, and 1.1 marks inside 50, which Grundy or Gorn has never been able to reach. But I think that is a, a bit unfair considering Gorn has played mostly in D50. So I think if you reverse that, I think Gorn would just pip him. Um, so uh, this form hasn't been uh, come out of nowhere. He's played a 
considerable, uh, considerably well pre-AFL in his VFL days. He played for the Geelong Falcons and he collected 63% of his possessions in a contested uh, manner and averaged just under 10 disposals and 27 hitouts for the game for the Falcons um, as he was, you know, huge from a young age. Now, Alex... I guess the question I was going to ask is, can he make the All-Australian team? <laughs> um, but uh, all things considered, do you think he uh, – have you ever seen a Ruckman at his age be this dominant this early? Because I can't, I can't think – I can't think. Um, potentially Gorn, but I think Gorn was even 25. Gorn, Gorn was older. Gorn was, Gorn was a bit of a – I, I reckon Max was... Let me have a look at his career. Let me give it a quick Google. I reckon he was 24, 25-ish. Um, in the meantime, let me answer your other question. Uh, score launches. Score launches, I believe, are... Um, a score resulted from an intercept possession. Ah, um, okay. Well. That's what I believe it is. In a... In a team that doesn't score particularly high as well, yeah. he's beating the competition. That's huge. All right. Um, Max, um, the first season he really started kicking off was, I think, 2016. So it'll be five years ago. And I think he's 30 now. 28 now? No, 30 now. Sorry. Yeah, he's 29 and a half. Um, yes, yeah, so he was about 24 and a half. Uh, that was yeah. his first season where he was he started clocking up he went from 2014 he was averaging 15 hit outs a game 2015 he was averaging 13 and a half disposals 37 hit outs 2016 he was averaging 14 disposals 42 hit outs so that's that's when you start seeing him making a really big impact he also went his he isn't a better indicator he went from his average clearances in 2014 being 0.6 to up to three in the next two years he averaged, which is an indicator of how much more of the ball he's winning in and around the yeah. contest. Um, so Sean Darcy, where is that? I, I'm just thinking of young Ruckman. I, I've seen a few young Ruckman come and go over the years for shorter periods. You know, they, they put in a good month, a good season. Um, yeah, yeah. His his biggest competition right now is slightly unconventional one in that regard. It's probably Rowan Marshall, who's um, found himself in an interesting position where he established himself as a ruckman, as a very very good ruckman. Then the Saints brought in a ruckman who was a pure ruckman, and so now he plays as a forward ruck and does that to a very high level. Um, So it'll be interesting to see going into the future whether. Marshall, who's just such a brilliant around-the-grounds player, like he's a natural mark and a great leading target, whether or not um, he will rival Darcy. Um, Brody Grundy isn't very old. I still think he's only 27, 28, um, around that age. So we've got a good generation of Ruckman for the future. Max, it seems to me like the kind of player that will probably play till late in his career. He's still got a little while left in him. This is a this is a golden generation. This is a great period. I think he's an incredible talent, Sean Darcy. In my opinion, Ruckman have the potential to be the most dominant players on the ground. Like their ceiling is the highest because a Ruckman that can mark, can win majority hitouts to advantage, can take clearances, can kick goals, can take defensive marks, is literally doing everything. And they can do everything when they're that dominant. That's what he's done the last two weeks. He's been that dominant. He's taken nine contested marks in two weeks. <laughs> that is huge numbers. That is huge numbers. Um, his, his whole season has been very strong. I think he's a great young talent. I, I'm hoping he lives up to this. He doesn't have to average four and a half contested marks every week because let's be real, I don't think a player has ever done that since maybe the, the 80s in a different period. But <laughs> yeah. um, the modern player, like I don't think anybody's done that. I think the, the most I've ever seen is about three a season, over a season. Um, you don't really see much higher than that. Um, I think Aaron Norton, let's have a look at him. He leads the competition at the moment, I believe, per average. So um, 
Max Gorn is leading the competition at the moment with 2.8, Aaron Norton 2.7, um, Charlie 2.6, Harry Mackay 2.6, Royal Master 2.6. So that's the pinnacle of where we're at. Um, wow. Max, Max, of course, we, we know how good he is. And Aaron Norton is the premier leading target as, as a yep. marking force inside 50 at the moment. So um, if he can live up to that, if he can put keep putting these numbers together, he's going to be incredible. Anyway, so I've hijacked your stat. Um, what, <laughs> so, what do you think? Where do, where do you think his ceiling is at going forward, his competition, everything? Yeah, I think that you, you have to, you know, give comparisons to, to Sandy just because, you know, Freo to Freo. And I think mm. that it'll be something similar, you know, that on the weekend, there was a lot of screenshots of the, uh, of the, the team list uh, post-match. And it was, you know, Brayshaw, Brayshaw, Chera, um, uh, Sarong, Darcy, as your four in the middle at every center bounce or every key, key stoppage late in games is yep. a ridiculously uh, talented uh, young, young playing group. Um, and I think that, yeah, his ability to to be able to be that dominant force, um, we we don't really have that in a young Ruckman. Um, it, us- it usually takes uh, a long, like a long, long time for that to develop, you know, the, his size. It, you don't really see that in a 23-year-old. Um, and I think that that will be utilised particularly well in the coming years um and um and he'll have he'll have time to develop his rock craft on top of that so i think there's a potential for him to be as the as the article says both the dominant force in terms of size but he's got time now to develop the his tap tap work um and it could get better and better as the as uh the seasons go on yeah, um, really interesting from you. I'm a big fan of his, so that was very nice. Um, what was I going to say? Can't remember what I was going to say. Uh, I'll leave oh yeah, in. Um, I tipped Fremantle to finish in the finals this year, and it's yet to be seen whether or not they will. Um, but part of the reason why I did was not specifically Darcy. I think we thought he was a good player. We didn't realize how good. Um, but that midfield that you talked about, this young brigade yeah. that they're going to develop over the next five years of Chera, if he stays, question mark, Brayshaw, yeah. Sarong, um, Fife still isn't that old. It's going to be a, just a great midfield for the next four or five years. All right, Alex. Uh, now for your joke, what you got for me this week? So it's been a massive week in sports. So I thought I'd go back to the old Channel 9 wide world of sports. Cue the music. <laughs> All right, we go. kicking it off, kicking it off with Wimbledon. Ash Barty won Wimbledon this week against a previous champion, an aging veteran who has come back for another crack. Some thought it was Angelique Kerber, but actually, they were mistaken. It was a group that also came from a place that has a bad track record with minorities. Tom, it was the West Coast Eagles. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent start. <laughs> I, I, I have no idea how this has managed to go under the radar that uh, Ash managed to defeat the West Coast Eagles at Wimbledon. And she everybody seems to think w- she it's would Germany. love to beat them as well. Yeah. Being a Richmond <laughs> fan, I'm sure she enjoyed it. Um all right, but that's not the only event this week, Tom. That was not. <laughs> there was a massive, massive Euros finale, the European soccer competition. Italy. Italy won the Euros against a team full mm-hmm. of kids who yep. failed to handle the pressure of expectation. One of the original champions they were with a few key superstars that are doing their best but just can't claw them over the line. It's not England, Tom, but actually Carlton in disguise. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're way more successful than Carlton. <laughs> Tom Carlton has the most premierships ever. That's the point. You got you got to look back at <laughs> when when England haven't played in a Euros final since in, in any final since 1966 or whenever it was. Same year as the Saints, about I think. Um, and Carlton's had a similar level of success. So. <laughs> 
All right, um, I, I'm going to keep it short today. Uh, my final one, the NBA Finals, Tom. The NBA yes. Finals uh, going on between two teams. And that is the extent of my NBA knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. no I, I am going to go a little bit longer. I'm going to go a little bit longer. Now, I believe it's being played in a parallel universe where the Gold Coast Suns are successful. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, see, see, what happens in the NBA, they play a sport where uh, late refereeing calls are controversial. A yep. few stars get paid all the money and everyone yep. dreams of the 80s where teams would regularly score 150 plus points. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I've just received confirmation Turns out they play basketball, not not footy, not footy. Um, <laughs> I, I, sorry, there's just a mix up there. Uh, apparently, they play basketball at the National Basketball Association. Um, anyway, nice. <laughs> nice and short for me this week. That's that's Very what I thought. But I, I thought I'd <laughs> make sure. You know, it was a big week in sports. I thought I'd make sure I'd bring you all the news in sports this week. Very funny. Very good work, Alex. Very very good. I'm glad we've got the you know all our bases covered around the grounds across <laughs> the globe. Um, look, I don't, I don't, I don't want to sound like we're um, enjoying each other's company too much, but I, I thought it was very good from you, Tom. I, I think you should get the point this week. It was a bit um, unconventional, but I in particular, I liked your work on Sean Darcy as well. So I reckon it's, I reckon it's yours this week. All right, that means it's half a point ahead to me. Oh. We're, we're switching back and forth at the moment. Switching and speaking and of switching back and forth, Tom, oh, yeah. Here I we go. lost my tipping lead. What is this magic? Oh, <laughs> what no. a turnaround. No, I can't uh-huh. believe it. Um, so we categorically came out. Well, actually, I say we. I came out and categorically went through all the games and was like, oh, there's not going to be any upsets this week. So i got to go out <laughs> and live on one. Yeah, I, I went out on a limb on the Saints beating Brisbane, and they did. It was yeah. massive. I was nice. so excited, especially given that you tipped Fremantle correctly. I backed in Hawthorne, and they'd lost in a 50-50. And we were even. And I thought, well, you know, there's an upset there. Everything's going to plan. And then Sunday happened, and everything changed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I had said to you that I wanted to tip Gold Coast. But I didn't, and they won. <laughs> you actually had the confidence to tip the Swans, and they won. Yeah. Um, we both potentially talked about Collingwood, but decided, nah, surely Richmond nah. are too good. Collingwood won. And then, of course, we just ruled out. I don't think we even actually had a conversation about the game. I think no, we just we didn't. skipped over it. West Coast, North Melbourne, and North Melbourne goddamn won. <laughs> Meaning, <laughs> I think I got... So I got lucky in our actual in our online tipping competition. I forgot to put in the Port um, Melbourne game, so I accidentally got a tipping tip in that one. But in our tips, I believe I got three correct. I think Saints, <laughs> Geelong, and Essendon. And yeah, that's got, about the that's about right. You I got, got four. Four. Yeah. Oh no! Including the Port Melbourne game, you got five. Five. All right. Because so you, you've got a lead on me by one. One. And as I say that, we are flicking over to eight ten in about ten seconds, and the game between Fremantle and Geelong are going to start. So, Tom, Fremantle, are you going to back them in on their home deck against this yeah. cat side? Yeah, I'm tipping Freo this week. No Gary Rowan, but Joel Selwood does come back. Um, the three-headed monster becomes a one-headed monster. And I'm backing in Frio. This is it. It's perfect conditions for you to solidify the top eight chances. There's no excuse. It's at home. They have to win. Um, look, I'm going to point out a fact that I feel like you missed in that and that um, whether or not it has three heads or one head, a monster no. is still a monster. It's and, the mon- <laughs> Geelong it's is still, still a monster, Tom Hawkins. Tom. <laughs> Tom Hawkins is terrifying. And unless your name is um, Jacob Weedering, you can't seem to beat him. <laughs> Um, Fair. So live in fear of the tomahawk. Um, I'll, I'll be tipping Geelong. I'm gonna play it safe. You can you can have your gamble on that one. We're five seconds in, and well, Geelong have had more disposals, so that's what I'm going with. It's three disposals to none. That's that's the key insight I've got. All right, Friday night, Thomas Richmond hosting the Brisbane Lions and Brisbane Lions, 
at what will be likely Metricon Stadium, it seems like, after both of the teams flew up today. Does that make a difference for you? I think the, the money would have been more split had it been Richmond and Brisbane. Do you feel uh, Richmond and Brisbane in Melbourne, do you feel more confident that it's going to be a Brisbane Lions win now that it's up on the Gold Coast where Brisbane just lost to St Kilda? Yeah, the stats the stats aren't really positive for Brisbane in, in the, at the G. They haven't won since 2014. So I think the move does benefit them more. Again, no hip would. They just came off, both came off losses. But you just, I don't think you can tip Richmond at this stage. Like, I just think that there's no, until they win again, you can't, you can't tip them. So I think I'm going to have to go with uh, Brisbane this week. I think that potentially this, we didn't talk much about Richmond this week, but I think potentially this week was the worst one of them all in a way, because the efforts against St Kilda and Gold Coast were just insipid from the start. Like they weren't going to win those games. They didn't have the energy. The other teams wanted it more than they they did. What bothered me more about this game was they tried for two and a half quarters. They looked good for two and a half quarters. And I thought, oh yeah, this is Richmond. You know, the, the famous joke about how they were in seventh on the live ladder at one point and you thought, ah, this is it. They've got an easy enough run home. They'll coast home into finals. And then they stopped. Like they stopped <laughs> running. They stopped Stop trying. Playing. I watched the last quarter and I watched them get bombarded out of the center. Collingwood would literally kick a goal and then take the ball out of the center and then kick a goal <laughs> and then take the ball out of the center. And I was stunned by how, by how easily Collingwood just walked over them. So I don't know. I have real concerns now about Richmond, about whether or not they can, like, on an individual basis, whether or not they can win any game, let alone, you know, a challenge like Brisbane. So I'll be tipping Brisbane as well. Um, the Gold Coast, the much improved side over the last two weeks, we had real concerns about them a month ago, and they've put together successive wins against Richmond and the Giants. And suddenly they look like an all right side. But the Bulldogs, they've got Norton back, they've got Dunkley back. Surely this is one where the, the, the foot just goes into the throat and it doesn't it doesn't relent until the Gold Coast aren't breathing anymore, I reckon. Yeah, Bulldogs definitely in a big win. Yeah, in in saying there. that, we say that every week and we are always wrong. I feel like you can't take <laughs> anything for granted anymore, Tom. Yeah, um, Melbourne is hosting Hawthorne, likely at the MCG in front of no one, no it seems one. at this stage. Yep. is the plan. Um, the teams might be dragged out tomorrow. It would be a late call, but we've seen it done literally today. So we're not really sure what's going to go ahead there, but it seems likely MCG, no one, Melbourne Hawthorne. Melbourne for you? Yeah, Melbourne. Can't tip against them yet. Yeah, I thought Hawthorne would be acting on emotion, but turns out they don't care about either Alistair Clarkson or Sam Mitchell. <laughs> so, so, um, neither. <laughs> yeah, we can, we can align themselves with them in that regard. Um, now, I know I'm a Saints fan, but I think this is the game of the round. This is, well, maybe Fremantle-Geelong, you can make that case. Maybe the Giants-Sydney. But the Saints versus Port Adelaide is do or die for these teams. And I genuinely give these teams each a real sniff at winning this game. Who do you think is going to get up at Marvel Stadium? Again, likely at Marvel in front of no one, but TBC. Yeah, I'm going to tip. I don't know if they're upset, but I'm going to back your boys in. I'm going to say the Saints win this one. Um, it is away from the Adelaide Oval, but against a team underneath Port. So I would say that Port would be the favourites. Um, but I just have a feeling that Saints, you know, with Ryder and Marshall in there, are going to be uh, really strong for the remainder of the season. So, yeah, Saints for me. I'm glad you tipped the Saints because I, I I want one of us to acknowledge they feel they have a great chance in this game, but I didn't want to be the one to do it because <laughs> then they would almost certainly lose. So I'm going to go with the old win-win. Either they win or I win. I'll live if they lose. Um, poor. North Melbourne are hosting Essendon. Now, North Melbourne side that, you know, they look legit now. This is the North Melbourne side that on their last five or six games look like a side that's probably about ninth to 12th, I would say. This is what I said last week, and even more so they looked at this week. Against an Essendon side that's literally 11th, so pretty even game, or are you backing in Essendon to beat up on the babies? 
Yeah, I think Essendon have uh, more to play for. Um, and I think they won't. It won't be like West Coast where they just don't uh, don't uh, give them the respect they deserve. They will get the respect they deserve, and and they'll and Essendon will win. And both parties will be pretty happy with that. Yeah, I'm with you. Essendon in a bit of a slog after all of the upsets though that we had last week. I just mostly tipped favourites, and that's making me feel nervous. <laughs> um, <laughs> Collingwood or Carlton, Tom, at the MCG. This one's a 50-50, so there's no favourite really either way. God, I could justify this both ways, Tom, and I'm still not sure which way I'm tipping. What about you? No, this is a classic Carlton win to, you know, not have uh, the spotlight on them game and they beat a team that's well below them on the ladder, but not really below them on the ladder that much now at this stage, but below them in skill, I would say. Um, and everybody goes out and says, oh, maybe they're all right. Maybe they're good. No, they're not good. They just beat, you know, teams below them. Yeah, so I'm going to come at it from the complete opposite perspective, um, which is quite interesting. Though some of the points I think I agree on, I think they're they're very similar, and I think that's reflected in their percentage. Carlton's is 91.5, Collingwood's 91.4, and Carlton's only a win ahead of them. Again, I was looking earlier about the worst teams in the competition. We talked about that. And there's a reason neither of us mentioned Collingwood. It's because they've won three of their last five games, including games against Melbourne and Richmond and some, you know, pretty decent sides. So they're playing well. And from a narrative perspective for Carlton, I, I think the opposite. I think for two weeks now, we've watched them beat up on teams worse than them. Uh, Well, Fremantle, Fremantle's maybe a different matter because we're not really sure how good Fremantle are. But beat, beat Adelaide, beat Fremantle, and you're thinking, oh, you know, they're ready to go. This Carlton side's getting a bit better now. And I've even heard people mention them for finals. And I'm thinking, no, nah, no, nah, this is the game where they remind us why they're 13th in the first place. Okay, interesting. Collingwood for me. Collingwood for me. That's, that's my call in that regard. All right. Adelaide are hosting West Coast at what seems like the Adelaide Oval, but again, everything's in in floating right now, and there's a lot of talk regarding Queensland potentially being the fixture for that moment because it makes more sense with borders. However, as it stands, Adelaide will be hosting West Coast in what will be a massive advantage if it is a home fixture for them. This is the game in which I think where the game is played is going to make the most difference. Because yeah, Adelaide are a much better team at home and West Coast need every bit of life that they can get. And if Adelaide play badly, it might be enough to get them across the line. Yeah, I'll tip West Coast tentatively, um, but surely they won't lose to Adelaide after last week. I just think that's the shame. Surely will inspire them to play four quarters. Oh, I just... I... I'm really torn. I think if it's in Adelaide, I, I do think that Adelaide's more likely to win. I think Adelaide, their best is pretty good, but we haven't seen it for a little while and that concerns me. And West Coast, although they've been playing badly, they weren't that bad against North. They, they, they weren't anywhere near no, as bad no. as North they were good. North were good, yeah. Um, I think I'm going to go West Coast as well, but I don't, I don't feel confident in it either way, sadly. And our final game of the round, the Battle of the Bridge. Tom, are you excited? Yes, very excited. Love the Battle of the Bridge. I don't really get it because I'm not from Sydney. Um, <laughs> the bridge doesn't really separate the West and the whatever Sydney is. I, I think it just had a bit of alliteration, so they liked it. Now, <laughs> this this game has also been moved up to Metricon um, as well as that North Melbourne, um, North Melbourne Essendon game that I, I should have mentioned earlier. So we've now got four games at Metricon for the weekend. Um, do you think that's going to make a difference from potentially having it being played at Mars on the cold surface in Ballarat? And do you think that the Giants have a better chance? And are you still going to back your boys in? Sorry, yeah, I'll back, I'll back my once. boys in. I'll back my boys in. I don't know if it changes anything. Um, I think it might make the game more appealing to watch. Because um, I think on that cold surface, it'll be uh, um, pretty tough uh, conditions to play both of the styles of football that the Giants and Swans put up. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of glad that it is in a bit of a sunnier place. Um, and I think 
with the the weather taken out, surely our star our system is better than theirs, and they've shown that they fade in games a lot. Um, so potentially a run over the top if they do have a good hot start. Um, yes, one's for me. Yeah, I'm torn between two ideas here. Uh, number one being that the Giants uh, seem to be only able to beat good teams. Mm. Um, and we only seem to lose to bad teams. Yeah, no, well, I mean, that too. But my second point was more so that Sydney are just about really the form team of the competition right now. Um, they're playing excellent footy. And if they are the top four hopes and, and potentially premiership chances that they hope to be, they need to win this game. This is a must. This is a non-negotiable. 100%. Um, I don't know, Tom. This is also a must for the Giants if they're going to play finals. But oh, this is where you get into flipping coins territory and just going with that. Um Sydney, but I'm not confident. I'm not confident. We're just it's just guesswork, Tom. We don't know anything. We're not footy experts. Get me out of here. Get somebody else in with some real experience. Alright, that wraps us up for this week. We've got a fair few points of difference. And I'm gonna end the show this week, Tom, by saying that as it currently stands, Geelong is two and Fremantle is one. And therefore, I would like to cash out my tip in advance. Uh, and <laughs> I don't think and declare us even again, and your one-point lead is gone. Do you agree? Is that fair? Yeah, very fair. Very fair. (laughs) All right. Uh, Thank you very much for joining us. You can find us in all the normal places, Tom, Facebook, Instagram, and the podcasting ones. Yeah, uh, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you can get them, Anchor, you name it. All right. Um, It's been very nice having you all join us this week. I hope you enjoyed it. My name is Alex Henry. I'm Tom Kreiser. We'll see you next week.